Welcome to Episode 7 of Practicing Catholic Medicine. Today, we're talking with Dr. Matt Delizia, a first-year surgical resident in urology. This is Practicing Catholic Medicine, a podcast dedicated to developing community, encouraging conversation, and discussing top-notch medical care that respects the dignity of all of our patients. I'm your host, Katie. I interview Catholics working in healthcare and invite them to share the challenges, joys, and all the in-betweens of being practicing Catholics, practicing medicine. Pull up a chair and join in the conversation. I'm thrilled to have you here. everyone. As always, let us first begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, I thank you so much for the gift that it is to be a Catholic and to work in the wonderful field of healthcare, to be truly your hands and your feet and your witness to our patients and our co-workers, to know the true joy that it is to have a relationship with you. I ask that this conversation with Matt may change hearts may help us to be more receptive to your call, unafraid to where you may be leading us, and trusting that even in our busy schedules and crazy lives that you are truly present, you are there, you are working, and you know our hearts better than even we do. We lift this all up through the intentions of your Blessed Virgin Mother. Mary, we just ask that you care for us as a mother cares for children, and we ask for your virtues, that we may be able to live out your grace and humility with everyone we encounter. And we pray this all through the words that we were taught. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All right. Again, everyone, welcome to episode seven and welcome to the month of February. I love February because I love Valentine's Day and I know that it's this commercial holiday, blah, blah, blah. But I am truly a sucker for a day where we just get to sit back and celebrate the relationships that we have in our lives. And so I'm definitely one of those people that gets all in on Valentine's Day. Uh, One of my favorite Valentine's Day memories actually was before I met my husband. So don't tell him that. But um, I was with my um, roommate and I when we put together a little brunch for some of our PA classmates. And we just all spent the whole day eating and drinking mimosas and playing games. And it was just such a beautiful day. And we just were enjoying the friendships that we had made through school. And so I always think back so fondly onto that day because it just is such a good reminder that Valentine's Day can be a day of celebration, whether you're single, dating, married. It's just such a fun, a fun time. And I will say that <laughs> I remember the late year after that, my husband, my boyfriend at the time, had a wonderful Valentine's Day like reservation, everything planned for us to go out to dinner. And I ended up canceling on him because I had a big exam the next day. And so he came over with boxes of Chinese food and we sat there and ate our hearts out with 
fried rice and enjoying each other. And so I truly think that the day doesn't necessarily have to be about like this extravagant dinner or this like how much chocolate do you buy for your significant other, but truly can just be about spending time together and making sure they know they're appreciated. So I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day, whether you're celebrating with your friends or spouse, whoever. I hope it's a great day for you. But anyways, I digress. I suppose we can get back to the podcast episode. So I promised way back in the intro episode for this podcast that it wouldn't be only all female guests. And so I'm so excited to share with you the inaugural male episode for practicing Catholic medicine um, with this conversation that I had with Dr. Matt Delizia. So as I mentioned, Dr. Matt Delizia is an intern resident in urology in Washington, D.C. And I just really enjoyed this conversation with him. He's very honest and shared a lot about what intern year of residency is really like and how he stays positive and how he stays true to his faith even amidst just the really crazy chaotic world of being an intern resident and for those of you who don't know intern residency is your first year of a medical or surgical residency so you go to your four years of med school and then after that apply for residencies and then through the match program you get paired hopefully, with a residency program that you then go on to further your studies. So in this episode, we, as I mentioned, talk all about how Matt navigates that busy work life. And when I say busy, I mean truly. He is working 80 hours a week and at all hours of the day and night. And so he shared a lot about what that's like. He also talks about, just in general, what applying for residency was like, how he chose which residency programs to apply for. And our conversation, I think, hits on a deeper subject than just picking out where you want to continue your education. It really, we go into just how to trust in God's will, how to navigate all the unknowns in life, and just really abandon ourselves to what God wills for us in our lives. Even when that means moving across the country, which Matt did, he moved out of state for med school and then he moved across the country for residency. So I think it's just so important for us to remember that at the root of all of these conversations is truly just living out God's will in our lives and the messiness that ordinary life is. So we discuss that and we talk about so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation Um, and as always, Everything that we talk about will be in the show notes. Okay, so I am here with Dr. Matt Delizia. He is a first-year intern urology resident, and I'm so excited to have you here, Matt. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Katie. So tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, where you went to school um, for undergrad, med school, and now you know what you're up to now. Cool. So I actually grew up in the Denver area too. Uh, and then after, after that, I moved down to Phoenix. So I went to Arizona state for undergrad, um, stayed there for med school at U of A in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And then currently I just moved to DC for general surgery, transitional into urology. Awesome. Um, did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? Has that just been like a constant aspiration? It's a good question. I think I first, realized it back in high school Mm -hmm. and then I didn't go into college wanting to do it originally I actually wanted to do engineering oh cool found out it wasn't my thing at all yeah and then transferred schools transferred states totally changed everything around and found my passion in medicine 
Fantastic. What do you think like originally like drew you into it? I think it's a personality mm-hmm. thing. Just like as anyone will tell you within within medicine, there's different you know specialties, yep. and people will choose those based on personality. You can just see it in people. Yep. I think you're just sort of innately born for it. For me, the big draw was procedures. Oh yeah. I feel like as a as a physician, you have a greater greater range of procedures you can perform, and you get to be at the helm of the ship more. Yeah. Which for bigger surgeries means you you get to control kind of the tempo of the OR, the tempo mm-hmm. of your schedule yep. and things like that. Yep. So I really like that aspect of it. I think the downside though, being a physician is you don't get as much time to spend with your patients. Your job is more yep. administrative now and more kind of at the forefront of the decision-making process mm-hmm. from, from that perspective. And so if you really want to go, I think into, into more patient care or spend more time with your patients, I think mid-level providers, nurses, uh, therapists, especially PTs, OTs, speech mm-hmm. therapists get to spend a lot more time with their patients. Yeah. I um, really get to foster that kind of a, a communication. So that's the one thing that I regret about my career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, everything has its you know, pros and cons for sure. And I like what you said about really wanting to feel that you wanted to be that control that tempo of the OR to do those procedures. Whenever anyone asks me about like PA versus MD, I always like to ask like, well, what field do you think you're interested in? Because um, as a PA in surgery, you're first assisting, which is great and you're part of it, but you're not calling the shots. And so I'm like, what's more important to you, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. So I think that's a really good point of, um, yeah, as a, as a, surgery surgical physician you get to you get to have a lot of those decisions on you which is really exciting for the right personality for sure right and yeah. it, the other thing too is as a as a mid-level like a PA or an mm-hmm. MP I think your job is more similar to that of a physician's mm-hmm. in in more primary care specialties yes. whereas in the more procedural specialties your job is more similar to that of a resident mm-hmm. yep. from what I've seen yep and the resident life for the rest of your life didn't appeal to me <laughs> No, I, and me neither, which is why I didn't go into surgery. But I know for some surgical PAs, it is exactly what they want to do. So I'm definitely not like discouraging that. But yeah, it's that I like the points that you brought up, especially for anyone who's listening to this, trying to decide like what they want to do. So um, kind of on the other side of that, have you always been Catholic? And what have you kind of grown in your faith over the years? That's, that's a loaded question. It's a good oh, question, yeah. though. However so, you feel to answer that. <laughs> uh, my family has always been Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're we're Italian, so it's definitely in our in our culture. Yep. But I think everyone needs to find their faith for themselves. Yeah, I agree. And adopting your parents' faith and your your family's way of doing things that's that's great and all, but if you don't find it for yourself, you never really own it and and want to pursue that relationship with Christ on your own. Right. You know? And so I think we all have to go through that that period where we transition from a childlike faith into more an adult faith where we, we own it and take ownership of it and responsibility of it for ourselves. And so I think a lot of people for a lot of people like myself that happened after high school yep. in college. Because that's kind of everyone's first experience of being an adult, being on their own, more yep. or less. Um, and so for me moving out of state and being in a completely different environment really forced me to either take one road or the other. Yeah. And so thankfully the Lord showed me that he wanted me to take you know, a road closer to him. Yeah. That's beautiful. And then, and here you are still practicing and in a tough field to be practicing, which we're going to hit on in a little bit here. And obviously one of the reasons why I started the podcast in the first place. So 
before we go into that, I want to talk on kind of like the lighter subjects of what called you to choose urology? Like why that particular field? What inspires you about it? Once again, personality. Mm -hmm. I think two reasons. One, definitely personality. It's it's a surgical field for sure, uh, but it's varied. It's not like you're doing the same thing every day. It's kind of a black box. A lot of people outside of the field don't really understand what it is we do. Mm -hmm. Uh, They think of all the jokes and and things like that, which is great. You have to have a sense of humor, obviously, (laughs) given the nature of what you're working with. Um, But there's a lot, there's definitely a serious side to it as well, which is kind of what I think my career is more leaning towards things like oncology. Yeah. um, Or things like endo, urology, stone management, things that that can actually be very dangerous for people. Mm Uh, so it's definitely lighthearted, which I like. They don't take themselves very seriously, like some other specialties might. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's very procedural and surgical based. Yep. It tends to be at the forefront of technology. They were one of the early adopters of things like the Da Vinci robot. Yeah. Uh, things like endoscopic management, minimally invasive surgery, things like that. So that's exciting as well. Um, and then I, I'd be lying if I wasn't saying that the lifestyle and the, mm-hmm. the compensation were parts of that as well. Well, so and I don't allows... think that's. Oh, go ahead. Continue, go ahead. I would say, I don't think that's a bad thing to think about and to consider the the lifestyle. I mean, I think that's a fair thing to want to think about. Yeah. It is, especially as Catholics, people who want to pursue a vocation of marriage and being in family life and things like that. It's important, especially for those of us in the medical field, mm-hmm. that our jobs don't overtake our lives. I see it all the time with you know, friends, with attending physicians, with people in medical school still where it just takes over your life. Yep. And that's... I don't think that's very becoming of, of the right way to live. Absolutely. Um, it's great that you've thought about those things. And I'll just add on to, you know, when you're talking about your field, I think it's a really unique field because you're having people come in with like big complaints that are affecting their entire lives, but also very like a very intimate part of them. And so I think it's a really cool field that I don't think people recognize like, yeah, like you said, how, um, yeah, like how you said, it's like a black box. Like there's so much to it. So, right, and especially for men, I think men in general are a lot less, a lot less able to articulate their feelings, especially feelings of embarrassment, mm-hmm. feelings of inadequacy, feelings of fear. Mm-hmm. You know, urologists have to deal with things like cancer, things like urinary uh, incontinence, things yeah. like erectile dysfunction, things that are not easy to talk about. Yeah, and especially not easy for men to talk about. And so I think it's very important that that they have providers whom they can trust. And the mm-hmm. other thing too that people don't realize is that a lot of times urologists end up being sort of a primary care figure for these men yeah. because men don't like to go to the doctor. They don't like to see their primary care physician. There's a very dynamic role for, for urologic care, mm-hmm. both in the community and also in specialized centers. So it's a dynamic and, and wide ranging field yeah. that I think people need to be more interested in. Yeah, fantastic. And I hope that you know, as you're sharing this, that people are inspired to learn more or maybe consider this as a field that they want to go into. So thank you for sharing that. Um, How did you choose what residency programs to apply to? It's a great question. That's also a multifaceted question. Mm -hmm. I think the first thing to to think about is is your situation as as an applicant. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone who's listening is in med school, considering med school, knowing that this is part of their future in some way, shape, or form, or even has a spouse, a significant other, or family member who mm-hmm. might be considering MD residency, that career path. It comes down to, I would say, probably three things. Mm-hmm. Number one would be, or maybe not in any particular order. It depends on your situation. But 
in no particular order, the location, mm -hmm. the, the training and the people. Hmm. So location, obviously you want to be in the place where you want to be, whether that's near home, whether that's near a significant other's home, whether that's far away, whether that's somewhere warm, whether that's somewhere yeah. cold, doesn't matter. Uh, East coast, West coast, somewhere in the middle, you see a lot of the location play out and, and that's a big part of, of people's happiness. Yeah. The other big part of your happiness is because you're spending 80 to hundred plus hours a week with these people, yeah. you need to be comfortable with the culture of the program, mm -hmm. the other positions around you, the hospital, especially your other residents. Yeah. There's definitely a, a family feel to some programs and there's more of an administrative academic feel to other programs. And you just end up finding what works best for you. And then third, the training, obviously, mm -hmm. especially in a procedural, but for any field really, but especially in a procedural field, you need yeah. the training that's going to enable you to leave residency fully competent to take care of whatever you need to Right. in the OR outside of the OR. So those three things, I would say people, location, and the training itself. That is fantastic advice. I think that those three things and, and just weighing what, what are those three things is most important to me. And yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, how did you deal with kind of like, I would say like the lack of control, because I know a lot of friends and stuff who are in uh, med school or who were applying to residencies. It really was like, they applied to all these places, but you don't quite know where you're going to be. You're flying out for interviews constantly during your fourth year of med school. I mean, you're kind of just being shuffled around and just hoping that things play out. How did you deal with that? It's interesting, right? But I think it's not to be overly philosophical, but I think it's divine providence in many ways. And also I think it's, it's a great generosity from God because yeah. here you have, it's, it's, it's funny, right? You have a huge group of people who are by nature, very much controlling, very much anxious, yes. very much high strung, <laughs> very much need to plan every little detail. I'm, I'm generalizing, but, yeah. but it's true. What do you mean? I totally don't resonate with that at all. <laughs> right. None of us do. But yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but you, you have these group of people who needs that, that level of control in their lives yeah. and myself being one of them. Absolutely. And then you put them through this process, which a lot of people have likened to a lottery. It's not. It's actually a very well, well-designed algorithm, the match process. Yep. You can look it up. There's a good video about it on YouTube. But it's it's very, I think it, it builds virtue because you're able to to abandon your own wishes and really just put it into the hands of the Lord. I think a really great prayer for that is um, St. Charles of Foucault, his prayer of abandonment. Yes. Definitely have been using that one a lot throughout the process. Yeah. But I think just letting go of your own preconceived notions and what you think you want from your life is a really great quote from from Tim Ferriss. I think I can pull it up. Uh, it's been a while since I wrote it down somewhere. But for those of you who know Tim Ferriss, a great podcaster, hmm. and he says something along the lines of sometimes you need life to to give you what you need and rescue you from what you want. Huh. He's not really Catholic, but that's very Catholic. That's saying, really right? good. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for a lot of us, it, it just ends up being, being a matter of abandonment hmm. throughout the match process. And this is good advice too, for not just people in medical school or the medical field, even, but in life, in life. Job can take you anywhere, you know, your family, your friends, you could marry someone and move to the other side of the country. Like this is just yeah. life advice. We're talking about life here. I love that because it makes me think of like, if we allow moments that we don't think could be sanctifying to sanctify us, like something like as stressful as the match and like, or trying to be matched and, um, where you'll be matched. I think that's, 
man, that's so beautiful. Um, and I love that the prayer of abandonment has been really powerful in my own life too. So thank you for sharing that. Speaking of like abandonment and just going where the Lord wills and his time, how have you navigated the schedule of being a resident? Um, and I guess what does your schedule look like first? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fun. So for us, we change every month. As a, as a prelim, you typically change in every month because they're trying to get you a very broad range of experiences. Right. So in our, in our program, it's monthly. Every four or five weeks, we're on a new service mm-hmm. throughout all of general surgery. So I've done surgical oncology. I've done urology. I do thoracics, acute care surgery, trauma surgery, you name it, all the different branches. Currently, I'm surgical ICU right now, cool. which is why I'm on nights and having a great time. Yeah. But they, they try to get you a broad range of experiences. Typically... For, for interns, they've instituted, uh, the ACGME has instituted nationwide these quote-unquote hour restrictions, 80 hours a week and six days a week and no more than 24 hours a day at a time. And then I think eight or 12 hours between shifts averaged out per week over a four-week period. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I'm probably butchering it, but that's the gist of it. I, th- I think our program does a great job. I'm not lying or embellishing the details when I say I've managed to stay pretty close, if not spot on to my hours. Awesome. And things like that. Some rotations a little heavier than others and some weeks heavier than others. But I think as a whole, that's about where I've been. Sometimes you'll have to stay late and things like that. And that's just part of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't allow much time for if you have a family, if you have friends, if you want to take up extra hobbies, if you want to go to mass on Sundays. <laughs> you, know, you know, sometimes like you, Yeah. And sometimes you physically either can't or you find yourself going to the, the college mass at 10 p.m. if you can find one in your area. Yep. I mean, anything takes anything to, to make it work. So you, you find what works for your schedule. And if that means staying up and going to 9 a.m. mass after being up all night on call, that's what you do. So, yeah, um, I was just recently talking to a Catholic physician and she was telling me about her experience in residency and that her roommate and herself would wake up at like 3.30 in the morning go on runs and then like start her day and then you go to bed super early and I was just like man and she told me but you know you like she's like that's what made me feel human and so I had to do it so we went to bed really early that was like my one thing is that we went running and that helped me feel human um so what helps you feel human and still like a person and I know that you're just starting out intern years so it's a little you know figuring it out but what do you do to still feel like a human outside of medicine? That's a great question. And that's a great question, once again, for anybody who's working hard and has a tough career or, a tough, or a tough family life. Maybe you're a stay-at-home and you have three or four kids. Like That's hard. Yeah. I would say that's probably harder than what we do. Um, but to answer the question, for me personally, it's, it's staying active and mm-hmm. to some varying degree, depending on how physically demanding the day is because sometimes in you're on your feet all day and you're yeah. running around all day, sometimes literally up and downstairs. And yes. <laughs> the hospital. Um, so for me, it's definitely being active, working out, running, maybe not at three in the morning, but if that's your thing, go for it. <laughs> I'm yeah. fortunate enough to live in a part of DC that's right near a national park, actually. Rock oh, Creek amazing. Park. Most people don't know that. Apparently it's a national park. It's in the middle of the city, but it's, it's basically wilderness and growing up in, in Colorado, that's, kind of my thing as well. So yeah. Uh, other things too would be hanging out with friends. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds trite, but if, if you're a social person and you draw strength and energy from that, 
having friends who are outside of your field, especially outside of medicine, mm. can make you feel like a normal person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because a lot of times you don't feel like a normal person when you're responsible for other people's health day in and day out and you have all right. these demands placed on you. Right. Yeah, that's great advice. How do you keep your faith in this busy schedule? What does prayer look like for you? Another interesting question. I love it though. So practically speaking, I think a couple of things that really help are, for me, my commute is about 15 to 20 minutes. So if you do 15 to 20 minutes there and back every day, I keep one of those little rosary rings in my car. Mm -hmm. I think those are really helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or even just doing little mortifications throughout the day, like denying yourself the ability to check social media or to listen to music or little things like that. Obviously, a lot of times you're you're uh, too busy to to really spend as much time as you'd like to in mm-hmm. either spiritual reading or devotionals or prayer. So little things throughout the day. I know Jose Maria Escriva talks about those little embers that you throw up throughout mm-hmm. the day when you can't put a bunch of logs on the fire. Yeah. So things like that are great. And then another really great one for me, two great prayers that I have to mention are, are both of my favorite saints, uh, St. Joseph the Worker and mm-hmm. St. Joseph of Cupertino. Mm-hmm. So St. Joseph yes. the Worker every morning has, uh, he has an amazing, there's an amazing prayer and devotion to St. Joseph the Worker, which I think is very good prayer, not just for those in the medical profession, but for all men mm-hmm. uh, and all fathers, because he's just a great example. One of my favorite saints. Yeah. That's so funny. devotion to St. Joseph. And then the other St. Joseph, St. Joseph of Cupertino mm-hmm. is excellent for anyone who studies, yeah. anyone who's in school. There's a wonderful prayer for before studying for an exam and before taking an exam, mm-hmm. which I think everybody needs to to check out. It's wonderful. And it's saved me many a time. Yes. I had a friend text me. I, cause I had told my friends in PA school about that, the St. Joseph for Cupertino prayer. It was actually my um, now husband who first shared it with me while we were dating. And I was like, so worried about exams. Um, but my friend, right after she found out she passed the boards, she texted me and she's like, oh, St. Joseph of Cupertino. That was all him. <laughs> like, he comes through. He definitely does. Seriously? A lot of test grades I did not deserve from him. <laughs> yeah. I can attest to that as well. And yeah, he's I'll, I'll and I'll put that um, prayer in our show notes so that people can see that if they want, because I love that St. Joseph of Cupertino prayer. It's yeah. it is so good. Um, I think that also makes me think of like, I don't know if you've read the soul of the apostolate. No, I'm not familiar with it. There's a chunk in there where he talks about um, like that prayer looks different in different stages of life. And sometimes you like legitimately don't have the time to sit Mm. down and pray for a chunk of time, but that God still moves in that. And as long as we're like strongly desiring to be able to pray and we're making little, like you said, like little sacrifices here and there, like he can still work through that. And, um, not saying that it's an excuse to not pray at all, but it, it was just such a great reminder to me that, you know, I was a focus missionary for a few years and I had, I went from being a focus missionary with a uh, holy hour every day in front of, in, in adoration, um, and daily mass every day to mm-hmm. like PA school. So it was a change and it was just such a good reminder that there are seasons of life and God moves in all of it. You know, we just have to pray and ask him how does it look now because it's going to look different in each season so yeah that's great I definitely needed to hear that as well <laughs> you a got lot of this. people do that's a good that's a great thing you put that in the show notes too I think it'd be really helpful yeah that book look it up as well. so good yeah um what would you say has been the most challenging part um of your first year of residency for me it's been 
multiple things. Mm -hmm. I think the first, the first week or so when you initially are writing orders and you're responsible for patients in a way that you've never been before. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking about before we started recording, even putting in an order for Tylenol for someone mm -hmm. gives you anxiety because you don't know what you're missing and if you're going to kill them. Yes. Which, which by the way, is not an unfounded fear. Right. You're taking care of a liver patient. Can't have Tylenol. Yeah. But things like that. And then just overcoming that and understanding understanding the way that the hospital works and the little intricacies of daily life in the hospital that no one really teaches you in med school. Things mm -hmm. like how to page other people. And there's this parlance and etiquette with pagers and with when to contact your attending physician. There's politics all over the place, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way, but there's this hierarchy in medicine and you have to respect that mm -hmm. and it'll respect you back. And, and things like that, which, which nobody teaches you in med school. Mm -hmm. They teach you the science behind what you need to know and you need to have that down by the time you get to residency, but then it becomes more about the day-to-day -day practice of medicine, putting that into practice and, and what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. It becomes more like a job than it is school. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, the on-the-job training, so to speak, mm -hmm. of residency, I think is very difficult. Also, not to downplay the, the moving part too. A lot of people yeah. have to move for different parts of their training and whether that involves bringing your family with you or making new friends or getting used to a new a new place and a new style of living. I've never lived in a big city before, for instance. Mm. So moving somewhere where there's metros and <laughs> public transportation that works and yeah. there's a lot of people around, it's, it's different. It's way different. And getting used to that, I don't think should be underscored. Absolutely. How do you think you've grown over these last few months um, being an intern? You definitely mature a lot. There's, as they say, and I'm sure you've heard this before, there's three, three moments in time in a medical career when you when you grow the fastest, when the learning curve is steepest. One of them is your third year of medical school, which I'm sure there's a, a correlate to nursing school and PA school and, and all of mm -hmm. the other uh, medical fields as well. And then the next one for, for those of us in medicine is your intern year. Hmm. And then the last one is your first year in practice. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting going through those moments of, of steep learning curves because you find out who you are and you find out what your priorities are. Oh. It's very humbling because you you can say you stand for certain things and you can say that this is important to you and, and whatever, but when you're really tested, when that learning curve is steep and you're climbing that that mountain, it's the real you comes out. Hmm. And a lot of times we don't like to see that, but yeah. it's also a great opportunity and people don't look at it this way sometimes maybe, but it's a great opportunity to see those things and to root them out, to hmm. see the ways that maybe you're being impatient or when you're tired and stressed out you don't treat your significant other as well, mm -hmm. or you don't treat your coworkers as well as you'd like to. And mm -hmm. so it provides a great opportunity if you take minutes of silence a day to just kind of reflect on that and then yeah. improve yourself that way. What a great reminder. And it goes back to like how everything can be sanctifying if we let it be. And man, cause yeah, I could see how in the crazy hours, you're just like, I am just surviving. And then forgetting that during that time, you can also work on becoming a better person too in just like those little ways. So that's a great reminder. And But I assume it's not all bad, I'm guessing. And what has been the biggest joy of of a residency and now you're, you know, you're graduated, you're a doctor, you're practicing? So first off, I everybody will, I'm sure a lot of people will agree, but your first year as an intern, people start calling you doctor and it's the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> and people who are outside of medicine will start calling you that. And it just, it kind of drives you up a wall sometimes. Like, I'm a baby doctor. I don't yeah. really count yet. Yeah. And I don't really know how to save anybody yet. I'm probably doing more harm than good at this point, but 
I'm learning. Yep. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely more good than bad. Way, way more good than bad. We like to gripe about the hours and things like that, but it's, it's almost like your grandpa talking about when he used to walk uphill in the snow both ways yeah. to work and whatever. It's kind of a badge of courage for, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been great. I think growing and changing is, is the best part of life. And if we, we allow ourselves to get stagnant, then life just kind of stops for us. And yeah. so it's a, it's a wonderful chance, especially for, for us in the medical profession to work on ourselves, but also to work for others hmm. and to improve ourselves and to sacrifice our time and our talents for others. And it's not all about other people too. I'd be lying if I said that. I think the personal growth is amazing. The opportunities we have are amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's downright fun to practice medicine. Mm-hmm. It's downright fun to be in the OR and it's downright fun to learn new things and new experiences. So I think taken as a whole, the whole moving to a new place and starting a new, uh, starting a new career essentially and being able to do what you truly set out to do after many years of just studying in med school yep. is, is a huge gift. It's kind of like you, you finally got to where you wanted to be. That's fantastic. What, what a great encouragement for people who are kind of maybe in the same place as you and, and are like, you're able to look back and be like, no, but this is actually something that I love and enjoy. And it's a lot of hours, but I'm doing what I love while I'm, while I'm there. So have you found that your Catholic faith has, um, like ever isolated you in your residency or have you been kind of protected from that? What has that been like for you? It's a good question. It's, it's different for all of us. And I think it definitely changes based on what, what field you go into, but inevitably in this day and age, you'll run into things in any profession. I know medicine gets a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of press right now with a lot of things that are going on, but in any profession, you're going to get flack for being, for being a Catholic and it's fine. You mm-hmm. just have to let it roll off and, and don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. But it, at least in some respects, you'll, you can't run from it forever. At some point yeah. you have to let people know what you believe and you have to stand up for it. And you have to know that it's going to make you unpopular. Yeah. You're going to lose friends over it. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to probably lose the respect of people above you for it. And it, it's humbling, but it, once again, it just shows your priority. Mm. It shows your priorities. Where, where is your loyalty? And if that's something that, you're willing to to not give up or not give any ground on, and that's a good thing. But uh, a lot of times in the heat of the moment, it, we're not so lucky. A lot of times we don't choose the right thing. Mm-hmm. And it can be very hard because you're working very closely with these people for many hours and you, you don't want to lose that, that trust yeah. that you've built up with them because they see you hopefully as a competent and intelligent person and a coworker they can trust. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to break that trust by seeming like you have some weird esoteric belief. Right. So I think I think mostly it's about the way you share those beliefs in a charitable way mm-hmm. and and in a way that might make sense to people who don't understand our tradition. Absolutely. I I once had a, I can't remember who said it to me, but it was someone in medicine who said you're going to have to work harder. It was it was a Catholic. She's like you're going to have to work harder um to to show that you are a competent person and that you're intelligent and that you want to be a good provider. Um and like despite or whatever people want to think like of your Catholic beliefs that you are, that you can be a competent provider, which is seems crazy to me, but also like, I get it. Um, I, I see how that's true. Um, so I, I really like what you said and, and not being ourselves up. I think I like what you said. Like you just learn from your mistakes. Like the times that we fail, we're like, okay. And, I, I see how I'm weak in that area and, and can, I'll, you know, can do better next time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, that's great advice. Thank you. 
Um, and I want to touch on this too, because you're, you're a relatively new graduate from medical school. So um, what was your experience like um, as a Catholic in medical school? Did you feel like you had a good community there? So my school was amazing. I picked it because of the people there and I picked mm -hmm. it because they were doing things ahead of their time from mm -hmm. a clinical perspective. Their clinical training was was leaps and bounds ahead of anything else. And it was it was small and it kind of had that underdog feel. Yeah. And and I, I was definitely not the kind of person to go to a large establishment school. Mm -hmm. And it, you just find your personality and people around you who share that. And that's that's the best. Not to say that other programs weren't good. There's plenty of excellent programs out there, but yep. you need to find the one that that works with your personality, the one where you'll fit in. And for me, that was my program at U of A Phoenix, a new up and coming school with a lot of potential and, and doing great things. And we came, I feel like a lot of times they, they will pick their class, which I like this, mm -hmm. on a very diverse, to, to enable the most diversity possible. I felt like we were very alike in our personalities, but very diverse in our backgrounds. And I think mm -hmm. that's the way to go. Because yep. that's how you, you get new experiences and you learn more things. Yep. The downside of that is that a lot of times you're the only one with this exact set of beliefs that, that you have. Yeah. And so for me, I was one of the only Catholics in my class. And I think that's true for probably any medical school or mm -hmm. any profession in general. We tend to be in a minority and that's okay. Yep. Um, once again, I think it's, it's all about how you present your faith and how you, how you talk about it in a way that's charitable, but mm -hmm. also in a way that's, that's strong. Hmm. And it can be hard to strike that balance sometimes. I know I'm guilty of going one way versus the other too much. Sometimes people can be too soft or too hard. And obviously there's going to be debate. We all know how the secular world believes about certain things in healthcare. And we all know mm -hmm. how Catholics believe about certain things in healthcare. We don't need to rehash right. those. But I think explaining the why is helpful. Explaining that maybe science isn't the only way we can know things. Maybe there are things higher than science, like logic and reason. Mm-hmm because people don't seem to respond well to things like faith and medicine. Yes. Even though we yeah. believe that it's, it's a very integral part of our experience, maybe they don't, but you can't argue with logic and reason. God mm -hmm. gave us those tools as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe using that to engage people is a good way. Mm -hmm. And I'd say too, to add to that, that um, we're, we're, our faith is so beautiful in that like our reasons behind things aren't just like, because like science and faith go together, like science and reason go together. And so for every reason that we have to not believe some or to believe something the way we do in our faith, there's usually, like you said, like there's logic and reason to back that up because mm -hmm. there's a natural order to things, whether or not our culture wants to acknowledge that that's true or not is a whole nother thing. But, um, I think we're really blessed with tons of resources and so many things that we can fall back on to, to find those reasons and yeah I think that's a great point that you make so thank you um my last few wrap-up questions here that I'd like to ask all my guests and I know that you're a little busy so I'm not sure if this will apply to you right now but um what book are you reading right now I just finished reading start with why by Simon Sinek what is that all about I haven't heard of it you can look him up on TED Talks he his popularity started with a, a TED Talk Okay. And it's Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. Okay. So you can watch the TED Talk for kind of a synopsis of it, but he wrote a book based on the, the TED Talk and some of the ideas he developed in his life. Mm -hmm. And it's about how it, it's mostly business oriented, but you can apply it to anything, to faith, to your personality, to anything. And 
it, his main gist is that most people can tell you what they do, they can tell you, or, or businesses, they can tell you what they do, they can tell you how they do it, but they can't tell you why they do it. Hmm. And a lot of us confuse our whys with our whats. For instance, a lot of businesses will say, well, our, our what is to make a lot of money or to impress our shareholders. But he would argue that that's actually a, or our why. He would argue that that's a what, yeah. not a why. Whereas most people will think that's a why. And he says, no, your why has to be something bigger than that. It has to be your purpose. And when you start with that and extrapolate from that, you're genuine and you do better business and you have more loyal customers and loyal employees and things like that. He gives a lot of examples of great companies like Apple, Southwest, Microsoft, um, a few others that have really stood the test of time. Mm -hmm. And then some companies that haven't along the way and why their products haven't done as well. And it's because they they just went with the whims of what the world wanted and and kind of the next big thing rather yeah. than staying true to their original purpose. And that's, I think, really true for us as well as people. Oh we do things a lot with the whims and fancies of whatever is happening around us at the time. And we don't stay genuine to what our original why is. And so I think it's maybe important for some of us to assess that, assess what our why is. What is our, our ultimate why obviously is God in heaven, but there's also a personal why, our purpose on this earth, which, which he gives us to, to get there. So mm -hmm. it's important to discover that. Yeah. Have you thought of what your why is through reading that book? <laughs> no, I'm still, still working on it. <laughs> um, my last question um, to every guest is, how has Jesus been loving you lately? <laughs> well, I have a good example, actually, from yesterday. So yesterday yeah. I had a very, a very fun and active day in the, in the surgical ICU where I'm working now. Mm -hmm. And by fun and active, I mean not very fun and very tiring. <laughs> and... <laughs> Yeah. It was a long day, and a lot of the a lot of the the nurses and the therapists and stuff on the on the unit could see that I was having a pretty rough day. From mm -hmm. all of the, we had a lot of patients who were very acute, and one we were just continually dragging back from death's door. It was it was a long day, mm. and a hard day emotionally and physically and mentally. And I had about 20 minutes or so left of my shift, and probably three hours of work still to do. Mm. And I went back to my my little computer office area. And I found that the nurses had left me a chocolate bar, my oh. favorite kind. And I was just, you know, they didn't, they didn't, I didn't tell them that my day was hard. I was just working hard. They saw me around and working with them. And it was just a really nice gesture. Yeah. And I didn't ask for it. And I, 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 it was really great. It really made my day. So that's beautiful. And, and to see Jesus moving in like the tiniest things and to just keep our eyes open I feel like that's been kind of like a theme of our conversation that you've been sharing, like just the wisdom of like seeing God in everything we do and just like that he can move in our stressful days. He He's moving in the things that we think couldn't possibly make us saints. He's moving in those who are like, you know, just to sit, just to say, hey, I recognize that this is tough. <laughs> yeah, that's a really beautiful thought. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I have learned so much from chatting with you and I think that our listeners will too so yeah thanks so much Matt for being here all right thank you Matt for joining me for this conversation I loved getting to chat with you um, also I just really want to give a shout out to all of you who listen to the podcast your kind emails and messages on Instagram and Facebook and everything they really mean the world to me and it's so inspiring to hear from you all and to learn from you all and I love when you guys ask questions about like how can I navigate this particular area of medicine or this thing that has come up I just really enjoy getting to know you all chat with you all so 
I just want to throw that out. Please don't be shy. Stop on over and say hi. And if you're looking to connect more with the podcast, like I said, there's a Facebook page, just Practicing Catholic Medicine. On Instagram, it's at Practicing Catholic Medicine. And as always, like I like to remind you all, that's where I spend the majority of my social media time. I love Instagram. It's such a happy place. And I like to post little updates and stories on things like how to increase our prayer life or how to navigate just staying joyful in a really busy schedule or really riveting stories like what I just posted about how long legs lead to having all of my work pants be capris. So just really riveting, like hard hitting stories like that you can find on Instagram as well. And then if you're looking to nominate a guest, including yourself, you can head on over to the website at www.practicingcatholicmedicine.com. There's a contact and nomination form right on there. I love to hear from you. And then um, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. I don't know how in some magical iTunes algorithm. So please leave a review and then share this podcast with your Catholic groups on your school campus or with your coworkers or with that friend who could use a boost as they navigate life as a Catholic in healthcare. I'd so appreciate it. And I'm sure they would too, if this podcast has made a difference in your life. And then as always, my little disclaimer that the views expressed in this podcast by myself and by my guests are our own and do not reflect those of our employers and that this podcast is not meant to replace medical care. So please see your medical provider for any medical concerns. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining for another month of Practicing Catholic Medicine. I love getting to share these episodes with you. I hope you have a very blessed and wonderful February. <laughs>